Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. Sorry for the late release. I had to go grocery shopping. I woke up too early and fucked myself up. I had to strain my sake because I'm a madman. Um, but with all that done, I'm sitting down to talk to, to A, thank you for listening to the podcast lately. I know that we've had some that I've had some technical issues lately, um, but I will try and I end this out with myself and my equipment. But um, I wanted to first say that in about probably about a month, we will be wrapping up on the first on the first season of Uncanny Curves over on the Uncanny Curves podcast, um, which is a podcast about the Uncanny X-Men from the 70s, and we're, so if you are looking for a podcast to listen to all the way through, you can go listen to that. I think it's going to end up being like a 13-episode season or something, um, and then the next season we're going to do a little like mini-season that is all about the Teen Titans, so um, if you're at all interested in any of that stuff or comics at all, go check out the Uncanny Courage podcast. Um, I'm on it along with Lauren, who you heard on this podcast, and then Larry, who you haven't. <laughs> so um, definitely go check it out. But today what I want to talk about is I wanted to talk about um, a programming block of anime. Uh, and so before I do that, I want to um, get into kind of like the ways that anime manga are classified. There are certain classifications of manga. The most common one you probably encounter is shonen. The second most common one is probably shoujo. And shonen is anime for young boys. Um, shoujo is anime for young girls. Um, if you look at something like um, yaoi, that's supposed to be... A lot of it gets interpreted as explicitly homoerotic or gay, but yaoi can also refer to just boy's love, which is like deep friendship between male or between male characters. Um, Yuri is the same, it has the same bend. It can either be something as deeply hardcore as citrus or as mild as say, as mild, but still suggestive probably as, um, the kind of like friendships that you see in card capture chakra, for example. Um, but what ends up happening with all of those properties is when they go to, and this has changed a lot with um, streaming platform for a bunch of reasons that I'll get into, but what ends up happening with all of these platforms is they, with all of these different genres, is they go to different time slots and they go to different networks. The most kind of infamous of all the networks, the one of all the um, programming blocks at, at, at all the networks is the Noitamina block. And um, if you haven't figured it out, Noitamina is just animation spelled backwards. And for a long time, Noitamina was the home of like experimental, 
more adult leaning, more challenging anime. Um, an idea of what uh, to give you an idea of what was on Noitamina in the past. Um, Paradise Kiss, which you can listen to me talk about in this in this podcast in the feed and whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. Um, Paradise Kiss was on there. Um, Hunting Clover, which actually I just talked about on the podcast, the um, like the episode before this, or um, yeah, the episode before this. I'm pretty sure that was on the that was on the Noitamina block originally. Things like Eden of the East were on Noitamina. Things like um, things like um, what's it called? Things like th- 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 my point is that um. Things like Princess Jellyfish were on Noitamina. Uh, and and lately, things like Vinland Saga were on Noitamina. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is because I was sitting watching the third episode of Tokyo Revengers yesterday, and A, I was just like, oh, fucking this show is bringing, is bringing its A-game with some, with some hot shit character designs. I'm very into it. Um... N- but also, I thought, you know, even five years ago, Tokyo Revengers would be a Noitamina block show. It has it has the feeling of those shows. It has the same kind of air about it that say something like even Honey and Clover did, or um, Nana was another Noitamina block show, I believe. Um, it has this experimental storyline feeling that goes so far as to like do consciousness time travel and he consciousness time travels back to his body 12 years ago as he's about to get punched in the face. Um, which is very jarring that happens in the second episode. And then I kind of realized why it might not why why it wasn't a Noitamina show. So this is gonna require some conversation about some anime licensing. It's it we'll get through it, it's fine. In the beginning of like streaming anime, it it was not it was not a complicated thing to go find legal streaming anime. You just went to iTunes and you bought stuff by seasons. Or if you were of the less legal band, you'd go to something like Kiss Anime, which is now in a quivering grave, from what I understand. Um, or at the time, Crunchyroll, because Crunchyroll had not gone legal by the at the point I'm talking about. Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll had not transitioned to be a legal service yet. They eventually would get VC money and blah, 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 on and on down the line. Um, but, I mean, clear, anime streaming was never technically an illegal proposition. It was what they call the gray market thing. So it's not like there were any laws being broken. It's just no one was strictly following the rules. <laughs> and in that, in that, in that, in the era of first real anime streaming sites when Crunchyroll went legal and they started to make they started to make strides and distribute stuff 
over the internet legally, you would see, or you would get things from places like Genion, you in disc form, which I have my Paradise Kiss discs um, in front of me. You see in the beginning of the show, you see a like little um, motion logo for Noitamina. And if your taste in anime guided you a certain way, you'd see that more and more. Like I saw it with Paradise Kiss and then um, on and on with different shows throughout the, throughout the years. And, but as anime streaming became more popular and as it became a big enough niche market to be recognizable and for people to want a piece of it, you started to get um, certainly Netflix throwing a pat in the ring. And what Netflix did, it went to anime companies that partnered usually for original anime. I mean, yes, they would go out and get the part, they would go out and get the rights for um, Pokemon Indigo League or some like some certain staples that people wouldn't think of. But if you cross it on Netflix, you'd be like, yes, please, let's start this shit up. And after a while, something became apparent about about streaming in general, and that is there was one streaming player who had a, I'm going to say, um, not really, had a strategy that nobody else had. It would do its best to pick up the stuff that nobody else could pick up because it would let the licensor do whatever it wanted to do on their platform. And that and that um, streaming platform was Amazon Prime Video. So what the difference between Amazon Prime Video still to this day and something like Crunchyroll is when you sign up for Crunchyroll, you get everything on Crunchyroll. You get access to everything they have. But when you sign up for Amazon, for Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Video is not the primary service you want to, that you're signing up for. You're signing up to get like toilet paper delivered in two days or some nonsense. You get Amazon Prime Video as a plus, as like a bonus. So when you go on to Amazon Prime, there are tons of stuff on Prime that you can just watch. But there's also tons of stuff that you can't just watch. And that meant that they had a flexibility when they were licensing things to say like, Hey, you don't want to do a per diem streaming model payment thing? Fine. You can charge the rental fee or the sale fee for your video. We do not care. So that meant when you were out there looking for Summer Wars and it was nowhere, it was on Amazon Prime. And that eventually kind of played itself out, and Amazon saw that they wanted to make a play into they wanted to make a play for a section of the anime streaming market because anime as a programming block tends to grow when nobody else is because otaku as consumers all of us are trained to just thrust our money fists in people's face and say shut up and take my money pretty quickly i'm guilty of it most of us are guilty of it it's just the way we are it's the way the industry has kind of groomed the fandom, so to speak. And what they did was they made Anime Strike. And Anime Strike it was a ter- was Anime Strike was a terrible idea. Amazon Prime Video 
being the way it was, having like some certain shows on it that were nowhere else because they were allowed to play the games they wanted to play on there was fine. That was totally fine, whatever. Anime Strike with a $5 additional fee for access to like an only anime section of Amazon Prime Video. And they, they at this point, they went out and got exclusives and they like, they barely promoted them, which sucked because occasionally during Anime Strike, you would hear about a neat show and like, I was the only person who could go check it out because who's going to pay, who's going to pay if they're not already paying, if they're already paying a hundred bucks a year, why are you going to pay another five bucks a month for this horseshit? Or if you aren't paying for Amazon Prime, why are you going to drop a hundred bucks plus five bucks a month to get access to it? That's just, that's an insane amount of money to ask for access to a handful of shows. That that fizzled out. I want to say inside of a inside of like six months, it did not go well. Amazon Strike did not did you go read articles? It did not go well. But what ended up happening was they took a different approach. They said, "Okay, starting our own vertical in Amazon Video it just it just can't work." And so instead of licensing show by show what they did was they went to the Noitamina block which is like I said it's kind of the most infamous most well known programming block of anime and they said we want to license everything you have just permanently let's go that means show, and that means that lots of shows that are like the stars of the season for a while were on Amazon Prime. And then what that meant is that their streaming numbers were dog shit because no one was going to go to Prime to watch things because, and I think I've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast, but the Prime video player is just. The Prime video player is user aggressive like it just doesn't like you as a user it's like hey i see you're watching something in another language i'm not going to turn on the english subtitles i'm going to make you turn them on halfway and when you press all the buttons to make that happen it just doesn't happen (laughs) it just doesn't happen good luck and so my guess is the reason why we're getting things like Tokyo Rap, like Tokyo Revengers, or things like um, Juron and Juron and the Juron of Blood and Snow, or things like that, outside of the like where it would usually end up, which is oftentimes the Noitamina block, is because it's less valuable for studios to commit their work to that section of um to that section to that section of programming internationally so uh, the thing was the thing with Netflix is you get if you as a studio get some sort of funding out of doing a Netflix original anime 
um, like be the beginning or something. And as a result, those shows look considerably better, and also the studios are getting some serious financial gain. I know a fair amount about the, the industry, and I can't make a clear connection from Amazon through Noitamina to the studio, whatever studio is making that show at the time. So as a studio, if I want more, if I want more streaming revenue from my show, it may be more beneficial to not hook myself into the Noitamina block and thus the like Amazon machine deal that happened there when I could, you know, put put it on a different block of programming, maybe later at night, and just go and just go and make streaming deals with with um and go make stream, streaming deals and still make a streaming deal with Amazon. That's the key point. Like Amazon will take your money as an individual like license. They just know that if they lock up the kind of like Noitamina almost functions like the Cannes Film Festival list of anime. <laughs> that makes any sense? Um, if they lock up the like controversial boundary pushing shows, they know that they will at least have some accolades and pe- it will drive some people to watch that stuff there. Because even if it's locked behind a super paywall, because there are people like me, or like the people on Anime World Order, or like um, any number of the people who write for um, ANN who will just go watch that stuff. Who, who watch that stuff because we are all interested in what that stuff is doing. And oftentimes, like I said, is it is the most like controversial, boundary-pushing stuff in anime. Uh, and it, it... But because... Noitamina is now hooked into this, like, machine of Amazon. Not everything goes there all the time. Not not everything. Not everything that is like that is aired there all the time. And oftentimes that was still, and sometimes that was still true, uh, you know, five to ten years ago. But it was way less true then. It, now when a company is literally producing, not like just like pumping money into, but literally doing all the production work of animation or animating a show, they part of the calculus has to be what will the number, what are the potential numbers outside of Japan? Um, and that has been probably somewhat true since, you know, Ghost of the Shell, the first Ghost of the Shell movie had simul- have a simultaneous premiere in America and Japan back in the 80s. Um, Cowboy Bebop didn't get super popular until it got, like, mega popular in America. Um, Trigun is, a, like, infamously more West, loved more by the West than the East. And I just think that I think that it's way better to have the show spread out in a more even to have 
really groundbreaking shows like that feel like Tokyo Re- Revengers spread out in a more even way. I just I just find the Noitamina block interesting because it's very clear that at every point they're like Oh, do you want to make a you want to make a show about love triangles and go into art school? Sure, that sounds really cool. That sounds really cool. Oh, you want to make like a like a show where like a a punk kid gets a million dollars to save the to save the nation of Japan? Go. And and you want money to like have Incubus record the original set. The the opening, sure, sure, absolutely. That sounds fantastic. Yes, and the reason why Noitamina will probably still be um, important is because through all of their like dealings and all of the shows that they've produced that, that that have been produced in that block, it it stands for a kind of like. Commercial art that is more art than commercial. That makes any sense. Um, you go, you look at any, you look at any kind of like, you look at any kind of anime, and there are shows that are like super commercial, like super commercial, and there are shows that are like what that are entertainment with something to say. And that's important that that stuff stay there because if everything just gets super commercial, we end up with like the the Moe apocalypse that happened many years that happened in like the early to mid aughts because everybody was trying to emulate each other and it just like there was a lot of bad stuff out there. <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff, but there's also a lot of bad stuff, and. Those kind of more experimental pro- projects are how shows, are how um, mediums grow and change. So, like, and you can see that in the um, isekai boom. Isekai, in the way that isekai exists, would not exist without Sword Art Online. When Sword Art Online came out, it gave a framework for a kind of for the kind of like isekai standard show that there's at least like three every season now. But from that like base mold, they took people were able to take um take take that, run with it and add and subtract their own takes on that form of a thing and then you get stuff like Riding of a Shield Hero you get stuff like Bofuri you get stuff like um like um Reborn of the Slime or Reborn of the Spider and or you get stuff like Tanya the Evil Jesus um and it just it is For many years, Noitamina was putting shows out like was putting shows out that felt like that. It it's also responsible for giving like a certain kind of creator a space, a certain kind of 
storyteller a space to tell their stories. If you look at um, Paradise Kiss and Nana, both of which I believe are on Noitamna, those are like deeply involved, deeply emotionally fraught shoujo storylines that Noitamna was like, absolutely, absolutely you can get real into the Ayazawa of it all. And that stuff, that stuff was important because it informed not just shoujo going forward, but fashion going forward. Um, the the gothic Lolita style that you see lots of cosplayers roaming around in like big Baroque, you know, Elizabethan cutesy outfits, that comes from Paradise Kiss. That style is like inspired originally by Paradise Kiss. And also on some level, Nana. Nana is so much a guide for like 20 something female fashion. It's amazing. <laughs> on like two totally different spectrums, too. And also it like takes it takes the ball that like lovingly crafted and just grabs it and fucking shotguns it down the down the field. Like, oh but what if chain lip rings? Boom. And the I don't I, I mean I'm fairly certain Noitamina will never go away, but I think that it will also always be necessary because it is still like a home for experimental, odd, weird stuff that doesn't always work. There's like some Noitama stuff that's just boring as all shit. But that's not what's important. The important is, is there was a place for that stuff to air. And on that note, if you like this episode of the podcast, once again, I'm sorry it came out late, but um, not a full day late this time, so that's good. Um, but new episodes come out every third day and Sunday. Third day is a more, um, series or movie-based review, review and thoughts-based show. Um, Sunday is more like this. It's metatextual. It's about things like apparently program blocks or, um, like industry stuff or technical stuff. And, um... I have been Alex, you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition, and I will talk to you on Thursday.